Hello, audio listener. Thank you for tuning in and finding us wherever you found us, all the podcatchers that you have. Um, we wanted to do kind of a special announcement. Yeah, it, it's it's really exciting. It's just one of those benchmarks that the show has hit that we'll, we'll always remember our first, right? Like our first show, our first merch. Now we've got our first scarf. Yeah, it's it's something that people have been uh, asking about for a long time, and we've been kind of putting off just due to the investment and, and all that stuff. And you know, we do this as a side hustle, as it were. We don't yeah. we do this for the uh, it is the truly a, it is truly a passion project. Yeah, absolutely. But we have teamed up with the fine folks over at Roughneck Scarves to produce the first ever Home Before Dark scarf, which is going to be just like the show. It's going to be a scarf of the people. Yeah, for the people, by the people. And no better provider than Roughneck Scarves, who are the official scarf provider for all of MLS and for USL and NCAA. And U.S. soccer, too. Yeah, yeah. So, so if, you're, if you're wondering, what does, what does a Roughneck Scarf feel like? First of all, dumb question. It feels amazing. And it depends on which one because they've got so many options. Yeah, absolutely. Take a look at any of your Atlanta United scarves. Look at that little tag. It's going to say Roughneck. High quality, amazing people. Just we couldn't be happier to be working with a partner like Roughneck Scarves. And we can't wait to bring that uh, bring that scarf to you guys and get those in production. Yeah, absolutely. So in the meantime, whenever you go and pre-order your Home Before Dark scarf at bit.ly forward slash HB4D scarf, Go check out roughneckscarves.com. They've got all of your scarf needs for whatever team you may support. Obviously, we're here to rep the five stripes, and there's no shortage of Atlanta United scarves or any other scarf or any other team that you may support over there. So be sure to check out roughneckscarves.com and get yours today. Coming live to you from the Gwinnett County Studios, this is Atlanta United FC Weekly, a home before dark podcast. (laughs) It is April 8th, 2019. This is Atlanta United FC Weekly, a home before dark podcast. And same thing, fart fart from Kevin. <laughs> pretty much all, yeah. that's pretty much all that comes out of my mouth at this yeah. point. Death taxes and Kevin farting. I am Tim Herb. As always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Mr. Kevin Bradley, across from me. Uh, there it is. There it is. And we got Dan broadcasting, I think also from uh, Paulding County uh, Studios. What's up, guys? How's it going? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just super psyched about this podcast. There weren't a ton of Jimmy Fallon sketches I loved, but whenever he did that shock jock radio thing, do you remember that? Oh, man, on the box, get back in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I was I was trying to do a Howard's Done private parts thing. No, oh, no. I haven't seen that movie probably in like ten years, probably. What was it? I didn't hear Howard Stern private parts. Oh yeah, I liked it when he said he had to uh, say the weather every hour or so, and then he went into this dialogue about how his mother passed away. And then it's like, by the way, it's 73 degrees and rainy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Good grief. Thank you guys for joining us on this gloomy Atlanta Monday evening. If you guys are watching us live on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago that we noticed that about a third of our viewership hours are spent watching us but not subscribed. So make sure you guys hit that subscription notification. Hey, we got a new icon. subscription from Russia. We did. Tight. Yeah, Nikita Fisherman. I'm going to continue Shout to call out. him that. Yeah, him. Did you confirm? You oh, you just automatically assume I his do. pronoun. That sorry, I'm triggered. I I just I know Nikita from uh, professional athletes in mixed martial arts. No, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Good I just God, want to see you squirm. Kevin loves to watch me squirm. Um, but we have noticed that um, I think some people are not getting notifications. Make sure you may, you might have to go and resubscribe, hit the notification bell icon. If you guys are listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Pod, or uh, what, what have you, Pocket Cast, everything, um, leave us a rating and or a review if Spotify. you can. Spotify. We're on Spotify. Um, Google Play. There's one, um, what is it? It's not Tidal. It has like a Tidal wave on it. It's like... Uh, I love Atlanta United. Oh, God, that was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, uh, yeah, smash that like button. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Kendrick Brock, Brittany S., Brian, my dad, Thomas Herb, uh, the OG Herb. Was that Rowan, Dan? Yeah, that was my kids. I was not watching the screen, so I just heard this terrifying childish squeal, and I had no clue where it was coming from. (laughs) (laughs) Richard Gordon, Clayton Poss, Bill Holcomb, David Garcia, Michelle, thank you guys for joining us. You guys picked a good night to tune in. We have a surprise tonight that you will get first dibs on. Um, We hyped it up a little bit on Five Stripe Friday. We have the final mock-up approved for the Home Before Dark scarves. And we'll announce the link here shortly if you want to pull it up. Should we go ahead and pull it up now? I guess we should. We have uh, David Garcia saying you guys need an Unleashed scarf up there. We do. We uh, do. I'm not, I'm not saying no to that. Uh, let's see. Let me share my screen. It might take me a second. Kendrick Brock asking, can Tom Herb drop some good embarrassing stories of Tim in the Trap? Ooh, I, I like that. I'm sure that he could. I don't. I think there's probably more embarrassing Tom stories than there are Tim stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good whenever he could pass it off. Um, so I am showing. Let's see. Let me present to everybody. This is a little unwieldy sometimes. Whenever you're working with two screens, do you have and, the like the PDF or the JPEG of just the like full thing? Because that's tough to. Yes. Yeah. See yeah small I, I got to zoom in. I got to zoom in. That's yeah, all I got to do is it, hit the zoom. Oh, okay. There it goes. There we go, guys. We are teaming up with Roughneck Scarves to produce a limited run of 50 Home Before Dark Scarves. Yeah. So we pride ourselves on you guys being a part of this experience in the trap every week through Twitter, the call-in lines, everything else. And there's been a lot of requests to do a Home Before Dark scarf. And so here's the design that we've put together. All the text that you'll see on the front, that's all your submission. So that's all filler text for the time being. Every pre-order gets a 20-character submission text box that all of that text will be replaced with your Twitter handles, your Instagram, your name, shout outs, how much you hate Orlando City, how much you wish 3D Doritos came back, uh, whatever it may be. Where's Dan? Uh, fill that in. Pre-orders are up now. What's the link? 
Um, you can go to, we, we put a bit.ly link to make it easier. It's bit.ly forward slash HB4D scarf, um, all lowercase. And we can put that, I'll put that in the trap right now. Um, but yeah, so it is extremely limited. Uh, there are only 50 that'll go into production with this custom text graphic. We may do another generic one at some point in the future, but there's no telling when or if that will happen. So we're just doing 50. Um, it's all up to you guys. You, we wanted to do something that showed how much we appreciated you that we did a fun little infographic similar to the Austin FC and the kit reveal things where you guys can find it in the gallery on the, uh, on the shop page, but yeah, so all of those little bits and pieces have things and nods to you guys. Obviously, the uh, five stars on the side. We're sick of asking for iTunes reviews, but it wouldn't look as great with four stars on the oh, side yeah, of, right. of the scarf. So now four and a half. We yeah. gotta keep it up. So <laughs> exactly, no, it's great. So if you guys go to that link, if you guys are interested, you can check out that little infographic. Find out where all that stuff is uh, is coming from, and uh, let your voice be heard. Uh, your voice, your scarf. I like how you stole it from MLS, right? It's your voice, your league, or whatever. It <laughs> There's is. a lot of those things yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, Arby's Mean Mountain, Meat Mountain, yes. Bill Holcomb, Arby's Meat Mountain. If that's not 20 characters, I'm going to um, just send me a message. We'll, we'll figure we'll it out. Fi- <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll shrink your portion, but we'll make sure that gets on uh, there. Uh, it's $20. That includes shipping. In terms of... Yeah, uh, everything's included with that 20 bucks. In terms of a time frame, uh, it's, it's hard to give you that right now, but we're working as soon as these pre-orders are done. This is going to go over to... The working files will go over to Roughneck, and they'll go into production, and then we can give you guys a time We'll keep you guys posted with notifications whenever you guys do. Um, for those of you who do partake, yeah, it's in, kind uh, of this weird sort of Kickstarter slash uh, shop purchase thing where the timeline is dependent on Roughneck. Again, shouts out to them. You heard the little uh, audio clip at the opening of the show. If you're listening to us on on podcasts, right, yeah. right. So uh, thanks again to everybody over at Roughneck. Uh, support those guys however you can, and uh, yeah, go check it out. Bitly forward slash hb4d scarf we'll tweet up the link and everything at home before dark yeah so brian's asking wait so all of our submissions that end up on the scarf That's whenever correct. you go to purchase there is a required field that is your submission of text it caps at 20 characters we will i did put a little uh, disclaimer on there <laughs> we will it will be a case-by-case basis don't just be an a-hole uh, <laughs> and, and put up really vulgar text or anything like that but like if you guys if it's in good fun we'll allow it well, yeah, we, well if, the ref will say play on if, if yes. need be, because we don't want to be the, the type of people to stifle any creativity yeah. or a voice. Obviously, we're not exactly the most, uh, I guess, what, what's the word? PC. Yeah, exactly. The, best, the most PC bunch. <laughs> um, we're not the least PC bunch, but we're not the most right, PC right. bunch. But yes, if you guys go to bit.ly forward slash HB4D scarf, all lowercase, um, it, or just go to gethomebeforedark.com forward slash shop, and then you can find the find the scarf there. Uh, work Website's still a work in progress, so mind the gap, as it were. Yeah. Um, let me go ahead and... Oh, we just got a pre-order. <laughs> I love it. See? It pays to tune in live. This is, this is what you're missing out whenever you're not doing the live stream. You don't get to chat with the homies in the trap. You miss out on all these important announcements, and now you're listening to it next day. Let's hope there's still some pre-orders to go around. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for your support, and uh, we're really looking forward to seeing how this thing comes together because right now, that's just uh, sample text. I have no clue what the finished product's going to look like, (laughs) so I'm really excited. So uh, you guys should be excited to order one. If If you want Arby's Meat Mountain on a scarf on your wall or or, uh, in the game, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, go that, ahead, that, that will make my life to see one of those. <laughs> they up. Pan around. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's uh, pipe dreams, Kevin. Um, so Dan, how you doing tonight, man? Good. You done with the scoff now? I miss you. I, I miss your flesh, Dan. Whoa. After dark. <laughs> I was going to say, I miss you being in the flesh here. But then I said, it'll be much, much better. If he I misses said. being in your flesh. Well, um, the last time you touched my flesh was at the wedding, Tim. That's yeah, true. that's true. It's true. Yeah. I, I, want to, I, want, I want to be the Michelangelo to your St. Bartholomew. To your Donatello. The, for those of you guys who don't get that uh, reference, go look at Bartholomew. Some, uh, somebody definitely went on a honeymoon to Italy, so yeah. there's that. Sistine Chapel. Yeah, go look up pictures cool. of Sistine yeah. Chapel, and you know what I'm talking about. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's cool. In the words of Anchorman, <laughs> I want to be in you! <laughs> How's it going, Dan? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. I was trying to uh, catch up on a little bit of New England Revolution. Apparently, they've been playing pretty well. Uh, which bodes terrible for us. Um, I'm shocked you've been spending time getting caught up on that and not Game of Thrones. There is only six days remaining. Well, I'm a, I'm a book reader, Kevin. I read the books, so I pretty much know everything about it. A lot, a lot more than you. Can I... <laughs> Just watch no. for Fat Dan at this point. Ugh. Fat Dan no, and Dragons. I listen to, uh, Fat Dan and Dragons. Of... That's, that's going to be my subtext, by the way. I listen to the Storm of Spoilers podcast, so they usually keep me... Up to date. Right on. So we are going into our first match week in what seems like forever, even though we did have that. It's almost like we had back-to-back um, international breaks, but we did have that Columbus, that forgettable Columbus game in the middle of it. But On one hand, I, I'm glad that the season has kind of eased us in, but on the other hand, it's been really frustrating with all this start, stop, start, stop, start, stop that we've had going on in the first six weeks now of play, um, especially on weeks like this past week where we just kind of watched because this past week, everybody wasn't on a break. I mean, half the league still played, right? Yeah, no, the majority of the league played. I think yeah. there were like 10 games played this weekend, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, I think we're one of maybe four teams in the league that has only played four games. I think most of other teams have played six right now. Yes, you're correct, Dan. I mean, if you look at the Eastern Conference standings, there are only um, pretty much everybody has played, aside from us in Toronto, everybody's played at least five games. And then there are, it looks like six teams have played six games so far. So we are far behind. So yeah, you've also got Houston, who've only played four. Yeah, I was sorry. I was just looking at the Eastern Conference, but you're right. Yeah, uh, Houston's got two games in hand on LAFC, who are at the top, and they could, uh, they can, I don't know, close that gap, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh, LAFC are playing lights out right now. A um, little bit scary, but you know, early days. We'll see what happens. That's what I keep telling myself every time I look at the standings and see Atlanta United. Um, are we just above Colorado? That is terrible. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. But we've got two games in hand right now. Yeah, we have two games in hand on Colorado that were just above Dan. So don't take don't take too much from it. So speaking right. of Colorado, are and, you about to talk and, about the and of New England? Oh, okay, sorry. No, 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 not yet. I will talk. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Tim, Tim, yes, Tim. It's Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, sorry. Um, Colorado. 
and New England, who are our next two opponents. We play New England away this weekend, and then we actually host a game. Um, what? Actually, no. Sorry, did I did I skip a game in there in the middle? I feel crazy. <sighs> what are you? Talking Dallas. About? Sorry, Dallas. We have Dallas at home too on the twentieth. Yeah. Um, I forgot Dallas in the middle of that. But two of our next three opponents, you, you mentioned. It's all um, four twenty. Dallas, I think, is going to be probably the one that is going to be the most competitive and the one that I am least concerned with us um, pulling three points out of. What I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, um, just to jump into it, I know we're not into the skies falling. We're not into the fire Frank DeBoer, DeBoer out, whatever you want to call it. I think all of us have kind of stated that we want to see this pan out we want to see this work we think that from looking at the past few games that things have adjusted and we're getting better within the system and it's a matter of hitting the what do we call it the apogee hitting yeah, that apogee, hitting the apogee. and then well, just the results kind of sliding of off from there um so coming this weekend on the on the 13th dan with new england if we get you, you mentioned them playing better a loss to columbus this weekend and then a win um the previous week against minnesota if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. they you say they're playing better which sure they they're one four and one right now do you see uh are you going to be disappointed if we drop any points against new england this weekend yeah i will be disappointed if we don't beat them i think it's going to be a tougher test than we expected so in the past we've only drawn at gillette field um But from what I garner from uh, the New England Revolution is that they have lost games really well. Uh, um, And what I mean by that is they've lost by a relatively small margin, but have played uh, a very good game, had a lot of shots, um, not been dominated by possession, not just sat back and absorbed and trying to hit on a counter or just sit back at all. so I, I think we're actually going to be in for a, a relatively stern test from New England. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be anything like a blowout win. Uh, I think we're going to get frustrated this game. Hopefully, we can pull out a win, but it's not going to be something where it's not going to be the New England Revolution of of um, of the past that has we've just been managed to walk all over. Okay. I I completely uh, I can completely see that. I mean, it because of the field conditions, because of where they play, it always has been kind of a tough field to go up and play in. I mean, they're not in football season right now. We're not going to have to deal with those stupid lines on the field. But I did want to mention one of the OG homies that's in the trap right now that we haven't seen in ages. Dean Worley saying, if we drop points against New England, then I could see uh, uh, myself on the train against Frank DeBoer. However, so far that train has no merit in his opinion. So. My caveat to that is, and it's a little bit prefaced by the conversation that we had last week is what, what do we start to use to measure success in the system by, is it flat out wins or is it starting to see maybe some XG trending in a positive direction? Because statistically speaking, Atlanta has been trending on the positive path with leading in possession, leading in passes, leading in pass accuracy, um, so much so against Columbus, they led in both shots and shots on goal. So if that's the case in this game and we lose by one goal and it's late, I think that's kind of a blanket statement. I, I think that there's some wiggle room in there. I want to see some progress 
on the field, not necessarily on the points that we take away from it. I think that's very much important, but for me, I want to see progress in what's actually developing in the run of play. So to Bill Holcomb's point in the trap, he says, uh, I'm pretty sure he says what is instead of why is why is the PPG, but uh, what is the PPG you think we need over the next several matches to continue to be okay with things? PPG being points per game for those who don't know. um, So it seems like you're contrasting in that point. You don't care so much about points per game right now. You care more about how the team looks on the field. Because I think that's what's going to measure long-term success is what's happening on the field. And if a couple of things don't go our way, obviously we all want the points. That's the easy thing to take away from this. But if we're not seeing any positive trend to growing and developing towards something, and we've seen incremental steps of getting uh, more shots as the season has gone on, more opportunities created as the season has gone on, Statistically speaking, like I said, against Columbus and I think against um, who did we play right before Columbus? Was that um, FC? That wasn't Union. uh, Union. We led in possession, passing, yada, 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 and all those metrics. We just didn't get the results that we really wanted. So as long as we're continuing to to trend in that way and creating some more opportunities, I'm okay. maybe letting one or two of these games slip. However, I think over the next uh, what when when did he say the PPG until when you said over the next several matches over the next several matches, you know, I think that we need to at least pick up a couple of wins in April. I think that's a reasonable expectation there. How many games we've got? What four games in April? There three, three games, three Three? games in April. Yeah, we have Colorado, Colorado, uh, Dallas, New England, Colorado and Dallas. Yeah. So I would expect to at least get one, if not two wins out of that. I would say a win. A win, a draw, and a loss, I think, is acceptable for me. So, real quick, Dan, um, I don't know if you're trying to jump in, but Kevin Gorham uh, brings up a good point, and it's something I want to touch on that um, that I, I was listening to Extra Time earlier. And it, Kevin Gorham says, honestly, getting a point on the road should be our goal this weekend. Uh, road points in MLS are gold. That brings up a, a, a great point. Again, like I said, wa- listening to Extra Time today, um, they had – uh, conversation about Portland, who was our opponent, obviously, in the MLS Cup final. And they're a team that are struggling worse than we are at this point. And one thing that he noted, it was based on what it took to get within the, the playoff ranks over the past couple seasons, based off of their home points per game average over the past couple seasons, they really only need to get something like seven or nine points on the road um, to be able to be relatively secure in getting one of the last playoff spots in the West. And I think that's, I don't know. I, I never thought about that until today, just because we had set records for postseason wins uh, or sorry, not postseason, the um, away wins. Was that last year or two years ago, Dan? Do you remember? Um, I think that was uh, la- the last year. Yeah. In, in, honestly, that's a good point. Uh, Kevin Gorham brings up. I think that getting that point is probably the most crucial thing in terms of um, in terms of moving forward and, and kind of the success and the barometer for this weekend. You know, people saying Octavio Mingura saying uh, give Frank DeBoer six months. We're on a three. Or we're on month three, and based on stats, our success is longitudinal. Patience. Yeah, I still think I, I hold that. I 
and this goes back. I've been kind of doing it in the trap uh, and and talking to Bill Holcomb. So four matches and only two more points, and you're okay as long as we look good. Asking me that, and I, I really am. I think that a reasonable expectation. If you take the next four games and Atlanta comes away with points out of two of those, if it ends up being two points or four points, however that is, I think. With the two games in hand that Atlanta has, it's a long season. I still hold that. I think personally, it's still very early on. I know we need to give it time, but I still think based on the run of play, and this is subject to change as the season progresses, I think right now Atlanta is somewhere in that four to seven playoff. I mean, there are seven teams that make the playoffs. I I find it really, really hard to believe that Atlanta is a team that ends up being outside of that contention at the end of the season i know we're not there right now but with two games in hand we're seeing some positive trends i think it's 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 definitely a realistic expectation do i think that we're world beaters and that this system is all of a sudden going to click and we take the supporter shield no i do not but i think that there's enough opportunity that it can grow into a fourth to seventh position playoff spot for this team as the season progresses dan i want to do a real a quick thought experiment to, to kevin's point about the playoff spots are you ready Sure. I just want to hear uh, just immediate reaction here. I want to go through the top the top seven in MLS right now in the East, and I want you to tell me whether or not they're pretender, contender, or if you want to say that they're a playoff team, you see them in the playoffs, or you, you see them out of the playoffs. I'm trying to figure out where Atlanta fits into this if one of, because one of these teams is going to have to drop, right? So uh, Columbus at number one. I think that for real. Toronto at number two. Mm, not convinced. DC. I think that for real. Uh, Philly. Uh, I'm not convinced. Yeah. Okay. FC Cincinnati. Yeah. Not convinced. Orlando. Right now, I'm convinced. I'm not convinced. No. Uh, so right now, yeah. They. I mean, they're doing really well right now. That's what I just said. Yeah, but I thought that's I'll all we leave. have is right now. No, what I'm saying is based off of based off of the standings and how the teams are playing. Do you think that they will make the playoffs? That's all I'm asking. I'm not convinced Orlando makes the playoffs, and I think that's fair. I, I'm not either, just based on their experience in the past few years. Uh, Montreal at seven. They, who did they lose seven? SKC. To? They lost seven to one so against SKC. They got their butts whipped. I think. Potentially. I think they'll probably end up where they are right now in seventh in the East. Okay. Ooh, I like Kendrick's question. It kind of leads into this, which is, do we go all out and grab a few players in the summer transfer window that can make an instant impact? Yes, absolutely. I think we hire a couple mercenaries to kind of bridge the gap going forward. And I think that... We Frank, need, we Frank need has depth. to play a pivotal role in that selection process and find players that he thinks are suited for his system because right now... I don't know how much he had in the influencing of what players were acquired. A lot of the acquisitions seemed to take place prior to bringing in Frank DeBoer, and then he comes in to create a system that all the players conform to. So right now, seeing where the team is struggling, I think there's a lot of individual talent, but what could start to bridge the gap between individuals and systems, conversations we've already had, is Frank actually weighing in on what players he's seen through scouting or otherwise that could succeed or um, benefit the system that he's trying to employ? Okay. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. 
before Tim, are you still going to go through your list and then I'll? Yeah, yeah. What I was going to say is, I see Columbus. Absolutely. I think they're a top two team in the East. I think Toronto, I think the top three right now are going to stay where they are. I think Columbus, Toronto is, I think, absolutely a contender. As long as Josie Altidore stays healthy, Alex Pozuelo, what he's kind of injected into that team is ridiculous. And they're sitting in second with two games in hand on Columbus and only three points behind. DC, definitely, I think, uh saturday was an aberration against lafc i think lafc are a great team i don't think they're that good i think dc kind of imploded um philly i actually see as a playoff team i think i think they're probably a six or a seven seed fc cincinnati i think are gonna get kind of bit by the long stretch i think they're gonna probably the whenever the dog days hit i don't think they're gonna um i don't think they're really gonna withstand the test of time orlando i don't see either um just I don't know that their depth is good enough. Again, those dog days hit, especially down in South Florida or Central Florida, it's going to be hard for them. Um, and then Montreal, I'm not sold. So there are three spots that – there are three teams outside of the top seven that – Were in the top seven or that top are, six that are, last year. That, are per, that were in the top four last yeah, year. exactly. And two of them in the top two. But did any of us points. think that NYC was going to be back there again this year? No, we thought there would be a playoff team, though. We yeah. didn't think they lost right. enough right. to really drop them right. down this far. And really, they've only played five games. They're 0-1-4, so they have four draws. They've taken four points away from five games, which is not great. But at the same time, they're not losing these games. So they're, you know, they're competing. They could swing back right. up the other way. Um, I don't know. I, I think that you're going to see those three teams. I think Orlando, Cincinnati, and Montreal are going to drop off. You're going to see Philadelphia kind of slip down maybe to six or seven. You're going to see Atlanta, at least in my opinion, Atlanta, New York, Red Bulls, and New York City FC kind of switch and uh, integrate themselves into that bottom half of the uh, the playoff table. Really? I, I, think, um, I think it ends up in no particular order. Uh, Columbus, D.C., um, I'll say those are top two. I feel like Toronto, I feel like Red Bulls are going to get back in there, and I feel Atlanta United going to get back in there. And I think that Cincinnati and Montreal drop out and potentially Orlando get in that bottom tier of playoff positions. So... um how do you guys feel about the fire right now? Meh. Uh, I'm not I, so. I'm not so convinced with them right now. What are they? The one lost sitting in eighth, one. I think. Yeah. 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 So they've got um, five points in five games. So a point a game. I think that's probably about what they'll do. Is a point a game. Um, that's, I, or that could be kind of, um, oh my gosh, what I'm trying to say, that could be kind of generous towards the end of the season. I think they could drop below a point a game. Um, I think Atlanta United, if we can go on a clip of 1.5 points per game in the next seven, so I think that's like three wins in the next seven, that would put us, you know, roughly in the bottom part of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. And I think that's doable. I mean, providing the the switch is is flipped and we start winning games. Yeah, 
Um, I want to kind of point out Brian Diefenbach saying, I thought we were plug and play, evolution, not revolution. He said that's what we were told. And then Kevin Gorham bringing up Red Bulls are in the same situation, lost their influence in the midfield, Tyler Adams. and uh, We most certainly were not plug and play, and it goes back <laughs> trying to, the- to Trying to figure out how they transition into their offense. I think both of these teams are, are supposed to be fit to be plug and play. Both of these teams are supposed to have a system in place where you're being able to, to put in the, the academy players, the younger players, the the depth players that you have, and then the system's supposed to kind of work itself out. We're not to that point yet. Red Bull should be, though. Um, so I don't know where they go from here, but I think that they pick things up because they're such a well-built organization. Again, you look at what – all I can really speak to intelligently is Atlanta United. I don't want to open up the can of worms or rehash the conversation we had last week, but I think a lot of that comes back to the individuals and how they succeeded and the – the downfall or the struggles that Atlanta had whenever those individuals were missed last year. I think we saw hints of how little Atlanta United was a plug and play system. There were moments of it and maybe some opportunity of plug and play with individuals that were familiar with what the tendencies of other players that they were replacing were, but as a systematic approach to the game or the offense, I don't think that Atlanta United was built that way before. I think that is the goal going forward under Frank DeBoer. Yeah, I I hope so. I, I agree with that is a good philosophy to go with. I hope is that that is what um, DeBoer goes forward with and has managed to pulling off. Um, so, in order to not rehash the uh, conversation we had last week... Um, Let's rehash it. The, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, going back to... Um, oh, my gosh. Was it Cameron Brown's... Oh, Kendrick Brock's comment in the trap. Do we go and grab a few players in the summer transfer window that can make an instant impact? What, uh, what are the positions that you guys feel that there are holes that could be reinforced and strengthened... Uh, within the United, it, within the Atlanta United squad, as we currently have. So I think the the biggest thing is players that recognize that Joseph Martinez is not going to be the only player scoring goals under this new system. I think so much of Atlanta United over the past two years was predicated upon moving the ball and pulling players out of position to then just distribute to Joseph. This new system requires pulling players out of position by utilizing Joseph to then create opportunities for other players like Barco, like Pity, like Gressel, and like Martinez. I think that that is right now the biggest lacking effort by Atlanta United is creating and capitalizing on those opportunities. I think Barco has been hesitant to shoot when opportunities have been presented. I think Pity has maybe been a little too quick to shoot when opportunities are presented. Once those opportunities and that consistency and figuring out the the run of form and how those opportunities are generated – around the top of the 18, I think this offense will start to click. But right now, that's my biggest uh, thing that I think is is leading to some of the shortcomings in Atlanta United's rotation is how those chances are being created and who the shot takers really are because everybody wants to just keep distributing to Martinez, but this new system requires everybody to possess the ball, everybody to pass the ball, and other people to take on shots and, and goal scoring opportunities. 
Yeah, so shots per game, Atlanta United sit... Oh my gosh, I just blew all away what I had. We sit 18th in the league with 11.8 shots per game. Um, I mean, that if you averaged in games in hand, maybe we could jump up to 12th. Uh, but still, that is we are pretty low down the pecking order with shots. Um, the past two years, we've been right up the top, even though you know we were taking tons and tons of shots. And uh, we weren't converting them all, so... It, people would get irritated but yeah i i agree we need to have a lot more more shots um and the that leads back to the chance creation because a, a chance created is defined by a shot absolutely and if we're not having a, a lot of shots we're not having a lot of chance creation i feel like that is going to come i mean we've been trending that way in in the statistics for that um I'm not saying we go out and get a center forward or anything like that or another striker. Um, I think our areas of weakness right now are the left-back position and the right winger and the center defensive midfield. Um, We still don't have... uh, Here, I can pull this up. So at our left-backs, we have... George Bello, Mikey Ambrose, uh, those are the left backs on the roster. That's not tons of depth. Um, well, we only you, have... did you forget? Are you just counting out um, Brexhe entirely at this point? Yeah, I am because he's listed as a midfielder and I didn't see him. But I, I don't know. I feel like Brexhe and Mikey Ambrose don't really give us. I, I feel like it's more of the same type of... I feel like each are going to give us the same amount of uh, effort, uh, talent uh, on that left-back role. And I feel like if we could really bring in someone who can... It's almost like we need a Franco Escobar on the left side to what Franco Escobar is on the right. And I think that's what Eleni United's thinking was with Breck Shea, but I just think Breck Shea is... I, I'm not a fan of Breck Shea. I never have really been a fan of Breck Shea. I thought when I heard the news, okay, well, we have been pretty savvy in bringing in value players, and I don't see that he has really contributed much um, down that flank. And then if the flanks aren't working, then you're just piling more pressure onto the central, onto the onto the midfielder guys. And so you're you're just putting Nagby and Rometty and maybe Jeff uh, under so much pressure in order to perform. And as we saw in the past, at the towards the end of before, oh my gosh, before the international break, those guys, uh, those guys, particularly Rometty, were just gashed at the end. They didn't they didn't have much else to give. So I'd like to bring in another central defensive midfield uh, to shore up uh, those guys as well. Yeah, I think also to your point about the left back, I think that also plays into some of the discussions we've had about how much Atlanta United's been leaning to possessing on the right side of the field, that it's becoming very one-sided in its possession and securing somebody in a defensive midfield role to maybe hold up play and distribute the ball centrally whenever Eric Rometty is gassed or a left back 
position to help get some ball movement on the left side of the field to try to spread out the midfield and um, the strikers coming back towards us, I think that that would go a long way in our opportunities going down the field. I'm with Kevin Gorham. Where, who's, where are they? Where are these reinforcements at? If yeah. they're not playing with anybody else, yeah. his, his yeah. point I agree. is it's, it's, it's up in the trap. In the, in the, Absolutely. You have to scroll up a little bit to see it because what he was saying is international spots are a problem right now for us, and then there are not a lot of domestic, uh, there's not a lot of domestic talent out there right now. I do love that Kevin sent us a picture. He's watching from his, uh, his – he sent us on Twitter. He's watching from his Google Home Hub while he cooks. That's a good point, though. It's not, it's, it's not the same, but you can do Alexa with home before dark now oh yeah you can tell alexa <laughs> you could tell alexa to play the you could just say play home before dark or start home before dark and i'll play the latest episode of the atlanta united cool. podcast or like the, the network whatever the last one was on the network feed yeah yeah um, i mean so to the i think we're waiting for the summer window i think i remember darren eels was on uh with dukes and bell and he was talking about well yeah there are opportunities that we're always looking for to bring in people in and reinforce the squad but the he and he alluded to the summer transfer window which you know i mean even though our window is open right now not a lot of the world is not their transfer windows are not open and then you look at people like who are in the international slots right now we've got barco escobar gressel martinez um Don, Dion Priera, uh, Pogba, Rometty, Gordon Wild. I mean, Gressel's green card is going to be coming at some point, um, so you can scratch him off there. I could ease, I'm could. i sure there is uh, green cards in the works for Rometty, um, Pitti, uh, Franco, um, that would take those guys off international slots. And I think it was around the... Summer when we started getting guys acquiring green cards. I mean, that's whenever we picked um, up Eric Rometty last year. Right. So there's a lot of things that sort of are happening through there. And I'm wondering if the front offices could be reacting to the fan base's uh, vitriol reaction to not having a a winning team right now and they're thinking and they're looking back at the gap between their guys in reserve that they're hoping to bring out bring up and say well maybe there needs to be another layer between them um you know i'm I'm hoping bello can come back and be the guy that we saw for two games last year uh, i i'm not confident of that um, dan first of all how dare you yeah <laughs> second of all how dare you well, in the words of Malcolm X, it looks like the chickens are coming home to roost, Timothy. Well, it's it's interesting because we <laughs> – the one guy that was kind of – if you want to talk about the guys that were crucial to us winning a championship and kind of building it, the one guy we thought we could live without was the one that ended up getting traded to Cincinnati, right? I mean, Greg Garza, if you think about the core guys over the yeah. last two years that really brought us to prominence, um, you know, we, it's it's funny how quickly we forgot because – we were so, I know we talked about this at length on the podcast last year in the playoffs is like, he was the difference maker between the two years. You know, he was out whenever we lost to Columbus and then his, his play was outstanding, very veteran play, making chances, going up the the lines, defending well. And I thought he sure. was a huge, 
a huge piece in us winning that championship. And then whenever he got traded, we're like, oh, that's a lot of Tam and Gant, whatever. It's a lot of allocation money. And you know what? We want to see George Bellow shine, but we don't. We thought we had the depth there, but we don't. I think I think we've got to start testing that again. Some of this is just filler because we haven't played as much. I think maybe once we get another five games into the season, some of this conversation we will play itself out where maybe with a few more games, Ambrose does start to pick up and start trending the way he did last year whenever he had to fill in for Garza. Uh, Bello, maybe with a little bit more experience, does start to mature in the role a little bit. Maybe with both of those players starting to trend and mature and play better, it takes some of the pressure off of Breck Shea so that as you're rotating them out, there's some consistency in the run of play. Again, plug and playing in the system rather than relying on the individuals a la what we had to do with Greg Garza last year. So Brian Diefenbach bringing us to reality and again I, I think we should be promoting I've always been a hashtag player kids guy I don't know that we should necessarily look outside for the depth that we're really looking for but because I think that exists within our system right now but he's saying here we are having talks about all these changes when we were expressly told by the front office that it was evolution not revolution yet here we are dot 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 revolution. I think it, I, it's I a little it, early, but at the same time, I don't think it's revolution, Brian. I think that yeah. what we're really looking at right now is we need depth pieces. We need, we have the guys. To, to me, the the weaknesses right now, I think chance creation is a weakness. But at the same time, I think that once we shore up the the fullback positions, I think that that chance creation is going to get yeah a little more prevalent. I think that. Right now, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to stem the tide until Bellow's fully healthy and then Franco Escobar's fully healthy, which doesn't seem like it's anywhere on yeah. the horizon. Um, that's, a good, that's a good point, though, from Brian. Uh, what do you guys think right now, five games in, uh, I guess it's, what, eight, including CCL? Do you think Atlanta United is trending on the path of revolution or... Is it evolution? Um, phone lines are open. 678-827-3297. Let us know what your thoughts are. Again, is is this team, this tactic, uh, the run of play, how players are utilized, is it completely overhauling everything or uh, and a, a revolution, as Brian mentions it, or is it an evolution based on what those players were doing last year? Six seven eight eight two seven three two nine seven. To that point, we got a from the transcript. It looks like a pretty good voicemail. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play it right now because I think it's kind of pointed to what we're talking about. What's going on, guys? I'm calling in from the Amelia of Island. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, and my question for you guys tonight would be. If we had everyone healthy and we wanted to run the four three three, what would be your lineup? Uh, appreciate the shout out from the last episode. And guess what? Ninety points are bust. Peace. I know the sultry tones of that voice. Who was it? Joe Johnston. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so Dan, four three three is our uh, our task right now. Fully healthy. Who do you play? Four three. Okay, so I wanted to come back to that evolution thing. Um, well, I'm going to go back for of uh, LGP, Parkhurst, uh, Miles, and Franco. Then I'm going to throw in Eric, Rometty, Nagby, 
and then I need a third. So Gressel, obviously, and then Pity Barco Martinez. My turn. Bello, LGP, Miles. Try something different. Huh? I am. Bello, my or Bello, LGP, Miles, Escobar, back four. Mid would be Rometty, Nagby, Pity, up top, Barco, Martinez, Gressel. Where are you playing, Pity? Uh, sort of like just in front of Nagby and Rometty in the midfield. So that oh, was like a real a, ten. Yeah, like a real ten, exactly. What do you think, Tim? Well, I have one major question for you. What? Can or Guzan? Because <laughs> you didn't say. <laughs> You're right. That has a lot of bearing. <laughs> but they said fully healthy, so that, that assumes that Guzan's gotten over that sniper wound from the <laughs> la- last goal, whatever. As Jay put it, his soul left his body. <laughs> um, I think for – so for me, it's, um, it's Bellow on the left – Honestly, the only change I would make, Kevin, with your lineup is just a rehash, I guess, playing more of a 4-2-1-3, right? 4-2-1-3, which I guess is a variation of a 4-3-3, what what have you. Um, Left back, Bello, LGP, Miles Robinson, Escobar, and then in the midfield. So you had Rometty and Nagby. Yeah, I guess so. Because guess it's, you it's need that because... extra player in Nagby to move the ball forward. You've got so much defensive work rate with Rometty slotting back if needed or transitioning left to right to support any back line that may be moving up or back or to hold up play. You almost you need Nagby there over Jeff or somebody else in the midfield to help move the ball forward. And Rometty's obviously doing a lot of that right now already. I think the only thing that I'd probably change is Gressel and Tito. Tito. Yeah, yeah that, that was the one that was that was the last one I picked for that reason. Is I think that what you get out of Gressel though is more distribution aerially from that right wing position than you get from Tito. You don't see where Tito is very lethal, and maybe that's where this team needs more of that chance creation to come from. Is because so much of uh, this system is about really simple risk adverse possession and passing that you're not relying so much on distribution in the air from the wings like what we did under Tata where what I mean maybe 30 or 40 percent of Joseph's goals were in the air last year and over the past couple of seasons yeah maybe this new system doesn't require as much and maybe that's a system where Tito does thrive where he's taking on players one-on-one and he's more of a bulldogging uh, offensive powerhouse that Gressel kind of gets left out. But it, I think it would be a loss to not have somebody to be able to provide that in that offense. And I'm not saying that Tito is incapable of that. I just think that if you had to compare the two, I think that Gressel maybe gives you more of that where Tito gives you a little bit more firepower, strictly speaking and shot capacity or, uh, one-on-one opportunities. I think, honestly, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at almost two number 10s, but one's kind of playing on the If you're looking for – it's going to sound really stupid, but looking at your chance creation coming from Petey 
incoming from Barco uh, playing on the left. And then you essentially have Tito playing more direct on that right wing. And then, um, well, you have Franco, Franco potentially bombing up to distribute some of that too. So there's that. Yeah. And then I think, I don't know. I just like, and I've talked about it before. I don't like having the same distribution and same tendencies coming from both sides or where you're playing a ball in the air from both sides. Um, and I think that Tito in and Barco could switch sides. I mean, we've seen yeah. Tito invert before. Yeah. And, um, uh, the only thing uh, I will say about tactically or tact, um, tact, tactically, tactically, I, I was trying to say tactfully and I knew that wasn't it tactically. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> tactic, tactically distributing the ball in the same way from both wings is that you're forcing the defense to play different roles and defend players that's true bombing the box that's why i'm not a soccer coach close manager a a near post or back post so you can expose defenses in a different way that maybe see a lot of players distribute from the right wing which most teams do because it's so far so hard to find a consistent left wing or left wing back or left back to distribute that ball by giving you that threat from both sides and a player like martinez in the middle or whoever it may be to actually get up above everybody else and put it in. That's where a lot of that success has come from under uh, Tata Martino. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know which, which player gives you more opportunities if it's Tito or Gressel, but I agree. I think those are the two that are kind of a question mark for Dan, me. Dan, my short-term memory fails me. Did you have Tito in that lineup or no? Um, I didn't have him in mine. No. Okay. I think I'm a, I will always play uh, in that right wing role, I'm always going to be playing Gressel over Tito. Um, I think Tito has just been so effective coming on as a sub. Um, although he was exciting when he started against Columbus. I, I, I mean, I thought he was exciting. Uh, interesting what you say about the having different types of opportunities come from the different sides of the field. I think that Gressel definitely gives you more of a crossing threat than Tito does. Uh, but with, I think Barco is actually going to fit better behind Martinez and work as a, um, as a poor man's armor on picking up the ball from either Remedi or Nagby and bringing it up and dribbling up and potentially feeding through balls to Martinez. Um, and Pitti, I mean, he, he, I think at River he played as a left wing back and he has a hell he has an amazing distribution from from what we've seen um I mean in highlight reels and stuff right. I mean we haven't seen anything I mean we've seen the free kicks that he can muster from and the long range shots that he can pull off um in the Champions League games but I think he is better served as a as a left wing back uh and having Barco as that sort of industrious um, field mouse that is able to scurry the ball up and down through the middle of the field. I I um, tend to agree. Aside from the fact that if if Barco is going to essentially, in your words, be a poor man's Mickey, I think it goes back to what Mickey did in the offense. It wasn't just the possession or moving the ball or the distributing the ball. It's that he led the team, if I'm not mistaken, last year in total shots. And was like top three in the league for total shots taken on the season. 
that's, again, one of the biggest complaints I have out of Barco right now. I think he is playing his ass off. I think he's been a workhorse the first five games of the season. I think he's made tremendous strides in his development. But one of the things I still think is lacking is his willingness to take a shot whenever he's got the ball at his feet, to make defenders assume that's what he's going to do rather than knowing that they have plenty of time to step to him and close him down under two and three uh, backup players swarming him because he's not going to get rid of the ball. I think that's what Miggy lent you from an individual standpoint that we need to see out of Barco is him know when he needs to draw the foul, which he's very skilled at doing, and he's done it a lot. He has the footwork. He has the speed, but he's – I think he's still lacking maybe some of that maturity in the playmaking ability to know when he should just take a shot when, because you've got to constantly been be have, you've got to have your defender second guessing what you're going to do, because if they're second guessing, because they don't know if you're going to take a shot or if you're going to run at them one-on-one, that's when those chances are going to get created because they don't know if they need to step to you or hold back to block a shot. And then by doing that, you're allowing other players to create other space that maybe those defenders aren't picking them up as a result of that. So that's where I think Barco's maybe lacking a little bit right now is because so much of him getting shut down is because he's just trying to draw the foul or not taking a shot because he's holding on to the ball too long. And where he's been really successful is whenever he's been a little bit more willing to do that and sort of exploit some of those weaknesses and defenses. So. And I think that he, that is something that can definitely improve Absolutely. As, as, as he goes on in the system and he realizes that he's the guy. Yeah. Uh, so just a little bit of statage to back up your argument, Kevin. Uh, last year, Miguel led the league with shots per game. Right. 3.8. I know shit. And this Stats year, trend. Barco has one shot per game with our highest, um, currently our highest... Um, Shot per game player is Mart Joseph with 2.5. And right behind him is Mr. Julian Gressel. Yeah. Uh, to Michelle's point, uh, she Two. says, in fairness, talking about Barco, she does say, in fairness, he's improved the season under Frank DeBoer. He's been more decisive. Absolutely. His confidence on the absolutely. ball is tremendously absolutely. better than it was last year. He Absolutely. And I think he's had a little bit more freedom to find himself in the system as a result of that, that he's not... <sighs> I think so much of Barco's shortcomings under Tata and over the course of last year was predicated on being um, being a younger player without a ton of experience in the system or in, or in play, and then feeling like he was – I think a lot of the pressure or – expectations maybe got to him that every time we saw him, we saw maybe some of that hesitancy or whatever, obviously all the stuff that took place off the field. I think there was just so much going on with Barco last year that he was put under a microscope whenever he actually did get an opportunity to contribute. He had things that came up off the field. Um, This year he seems to be, uh, I mean, he he is a key player in this system, and he is embracing that and playing up to that. I think that there is a lot of growing and maturing that needs to take place to be successful in that. But I think that he is a player that has that ability to adjust and grow in the system with time. Uh, Dan, I never did get your feedback on, and Tim, I don't know if you said it either, revolution versus 
evolution. You want to go to him and then I'll uh, go off on my diatribe. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I honestly probably haven't given this as much thought as I thought I should. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's as much revolution as it's being purported. Um, I mean, the team is playing differently. They're not playing. How about this? Can you, let's, uh, let's look at it from the system and individual standpoint. Let's, let's, let's just tie it back to a conversation we've already had, right? So the individuals, do you think that the individuals and the individual players are completely revolutionizing the way that they played prior to this season, or is it an evolution from the way that they played prior to this season? Um, do you think that the neither? W- I I don't know. I, I don't think I don't definitely don't think it's a revolution in terms of play style for the players themselves, or right. that they're making themselves right. into players that they they weren't right. before. I think they're just fitting. I don't know. It's weird to me. I, I maybe I just don't think about it that much. Where it's they're just playing a different style. I so there's they're still the same players to me, right. and I think they still have the same skill set. Yep. We have a couple new players that hopefully can pan out for us, but. I don't know. I'm probably just not the best person. I don't I don't think tactics all that much. I'm not. I think whenever you break it down in that way, I think that each individual has had an evolution in the way that they play, where Remedi is now getting a little bit more involved in the attacking side of but things. But we that saw that. We saw that yes. in the playoffs. Right. And we saw exactly. that towards exactly. the end of last year. Again, it is an evolution rather, rather than a true. revolution. He's not playing a true number 10 now. Nagby is getting a little bit more involved in the defensive role and still doing a lot of the distribution in the midfield. I think the big thing that we may see a revolution on is how the defense plays with a three-back formation. And we can we can talk about that. The system, if, if you talk about the system that Tata employed and the system that Frank DeBoer is employing, so much of Tata's system, tiki-taka football, is all about very, very fast-paced possession and passing the ball around your opponent and, and making quick counterplays and stuff like that. Frank DeBoer's system is almost like an evolution of that, which is a more risk-adverse version of tiki-taka football, where it is hold-up play, methodical possession and passing that gets defenders pulled out of position to then create opportunities further down the field. I think that's actually probably more along the lines of, I don't know the difference, Dan, I'm maybe, I don't know the difference between Tiki Taka, what Barcelona played under, um, Pep Guardiola and, and then, um, total football, whatever you want to call it under, you know, Johan Cruyff so, and, and, um, Frank DeBoer, but they, they seem very similar to me in that, in that so instance. Tiki Taka is the concept that your opponent cannot score if they do not have the ball. Right. So that's why they would make many, 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 many short passes that are cautious passes out of low risk so they can keep possession of the ball and then they can... Um, and it's got kind of a bad rap recently, but, I mean, it's tremendously rev- it was tremendously revolutionary. Uh, so... Anyway, they could they can keep possession of the ball and eventually just um, wear their opponent down, and eventually, you know, um, these triangles are going to pay off, get guys out of position, they're going to step two, and then you're going to be away and be able to score a goal. Uh, but it did come out of... I, I, 
think it, the one of a characteristic is a fairly low scoring game. Uh, and total football is the concept that every single player on the field can play uh, every position. Now, I don't know if that means the forward can play goalkeeper, but it means the forward can play center back and the center back can play forward. Which, which to me is essentially what Pep Guardiola tried to employ whenever he was at Barcelona. I think he was, I don't know, quoted as saying, not verbatim, but essentially everyone from a skill standpoint on the field needs to be a midfielder, right? Everybody needs to be able to play both sides of the right. ball. And I feel like there has been more success with Tiki Taka than there was with Total Football because it's a very difficult system to implement because you you just have to have everybody. It's like everybody is a a jack of all trades but a master of none. Um, So what DeBoer is trying to do is have more. You know, we talk in the workplace, we talk about T-shaped people. Uh, so you're a huge specialist, and then you have a very broad, shallow knowledge of everything else. Well, one, I reject that. And two, I think that people need to be more as like <laughs> as um, a sideways capital D-shaped people, that they are very depth. Um, they have a lot of depth in one area, but then as they span out, their depth in knowledge kind of drifts back towards the top. But then you have more knowledge of many more positions. And I think that's closer to what DeBoer is trying to do because um, that is a more diluted and I think a more uh, digestible version of total football. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So do you think, uh, so to answer the question, evolution or revolution? Okay, so... And and do you agree with my... Assumption. That's my goal every week now is to get Dan to agree with me. I'm two (laughs) for two so so far this week. I agree we are in evolution. So I think I'm going to compare. The only way I can do it is to bring it back to how the body digests sugar and glucose. You would. I'm diabetic and I deal with it every single day. So people in in the trap, you can just tell me when you've already dropped off of whatever bullshit I'm spouting. But so... We have. Um, I don't know. We glucose. might have diabetic people in the trap. Andy's in there. Yeah, Andy's very. <laughs> well, Andy Watkins, yeah, but. Gather around, folks. Else. Dan's so, going to tell us a story about diabetes. The, the, um, the way body, your body, your body, so this is going to relate to everybody, your body digests glucose very fast. So if you eat sugar, sugar is all. <laughs> thanks, Bill. Bill's out. Bill Holcomb is out. <laughs> 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 um, your body digests glucose very rapidly. So if you eat a candy, um, if you eat uh, like a like a donut, a donut, or you eat like a drink a coke or something, or your you body's going to digest that glucose. Stop him! I'm on a roll. Your di- body's going to digest Cinnamon that very roll. quickly. You're going to get a big burst of energy, and you're going to go, go, go. So if you have something like a big fat steak. Your body is going to take a lot of time to digest that. So mm. protein takes a lot Speak of time yourself. to digest. Mm. Uh, Arby's meat. Body. What about Arby's meat? Oh, what about the now? What about the Arby's well, I, roast no. beef and cheddar on a King's Hawaiian? Because there's a lot of sugar in the King's Hawaiian roll, but it is a lot of meat. Arby's isn't food, so it doesn't fall into this conversation. Oh, fuck. So Dan, Dan can you real, real quick? Can you say Arby's? We have the meats. <laughs> Arby's, we have the meats. Tata 
was the revolution. And here was the revolution within MLS. So Tata is your glucose. It is your red ball. He was coming out blazing. He didn't care about what was happening in the future. He just put the best guys on there to win and to win fast. That's why in transition, we were able to do that. And we would just go, 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 go. And we would go fast and score lots of goals. Um, But then when we finally won the playoffs in the second year, we managed to mature a little bit and balance that big, um, fast play with a little bit of maturity. And Tiki Taka. So Frank, no. So Frank (laughs) DeBoer is your protein, right? He's the guy who's going to come in there and he's going to level everything off because he cares about the future. He's got a He's got a five-year plan, he's got a 10-year plan, he's got a 15-year plan. So he needs to implement that philosophy so he can build this empire that he's looking to build. Tata, although we love him and he's awesome and done and bought us all the championship glory that we wanted, he is not the guy to write the ship and be there day in, day out, year in, year out to be on the same project. He wants something else to do. So... Frank DeBoer is nothing but evolution. And, and Bill Holcomb in the trap, tactile was meth and FDB is regular food. Is that what I the like this is? analogy a lot better. <laughs> I mean, Fra- Frank DeBoer is more like the extended release Adderall. Like it lasts all day. It's not like taking a hit off of the meth pipe. No, it's like meth versus like low key um, like shrooms or something like that. Like really right. slow Tata, down. Tata was Red Bull or Monster. Frank DeBoer is your protein shake. Okay. What about sugar? Uh, Dan, how does? What about Sugar Shack? Yeah. No, no. What about Sugar Shack? I'm down for that. No, I was gonna say, what about sugar-free Red Bull? How does that get processed? Because it's not That's your body. Not food. Your your body doesn't see it as energy, right? The caffeine, yes, but not the sugar. Correct. Well, it's still, but it's all sugar alcohol. So sugar alcohols is basically the same thing as sugar. So if, if Tata was a fast food place and Frank DeBoer was a fast food place, who would they be? So Tata would be, okay, Tata would be your McDonald's because there's more carbohydrates there and you can digest it. Frank DeBoer would be your Hardee's, your heavy, thick burger. Oh, now you, that's why meal. we're on the, the – I am on the DeBoer diet. I think why – would, why wouldn't he be like an eight-piece from Popeye's? Ooh. First, Tim, Bill Holcomb asks, why would I want a protein shake when I can pound Red Bull? I agree. It's because you're going to have to have – you're going to have to keep on drinking Red Bull. Yeah, he said, who's Arby's? That's who I want as a coach. I think Chris Armas because he's a meathead. So to that point, do you think that Atlanta United's investment strategy matches up with a protein shake approach to team building strategy? Because so much of what the front office alignment with buying these players and these marquee signings under Joseph Martinez or Barco or Miggy were the Red Bull pace of play. It goes back to what we were saying earlier about Frank having some opinion on who is being implemented in his system. Do you think that the players right now fit into the protein shake mentality or you know the investment strategy line up with that? I love that we've coined this protein shake mentality. <laughs> <laughs> I think that 
It's like avocado Ew. toast. That works, think, right? Because that's fatty, right? Yeah, but you also toast. get the carbohydrates. No matter if it's like a, a a whole wheat piece of toast, it's all a lie. It's all terrible well, for you. No, 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 Tim. So, okay, well, there's a there's a caveat to that because fat slows down the absorption See? of glucose into your body. But there is so, also a lot of evidence, and Dr. Rhonda Patrick backs this up, that high volume of saturated fats along with carbohydrates is actually really bad for you in the long run. Exactly, because your blood sugar spikes. Like so, fat stops the glucose or from being absorbed into your body, and then when the fat finally is digested, you have this huge spike in carbohydrates coming into your blood. So, so av- avocado like, toast is not good. No, avocado toast is good because it's a good fat, like French fries. French fries are terrible for me because not for me. So we're definitely not in agreement. My stomach and then my blood sugar goes crazy. Okay, but what about steak fries? So what about how much does the shape of French fries weigh into how it breaks down in your body? So like, is there a difference between shoestring and steak fries? Because I feel like steak fries is a heartier French fry that your body's going to have to digest and break right. down. But what about Actually, a curly Kevin, fry? It's like what? the muscle confusion of CrossFit, but in the form of a French fry. Yeah. Where your, body, <laughs> your body doesn't more, know. I don't know about you, but I don't chew French fries before they go it's down like, my gullet. It's like a workout band for your stomach. <laughs> Just keep stretching it open. Well, the more surface area of the French fries, so the shoestring fries would be worse for you because they have more fat because they have more surface area that's exposed to the oil that they're cooked in. Okay, but what about what about like at a like a like if you almost sous what about, it? But what about okay, okay, okay. What okay, about what about French fries confit or <laughs> oh, that sounds disgusting? <laughs> what about potato wedges that have a little bit of the fiber from the skin to help break down that and metabolism? some of the chicken skin well, uh, breading. Yeah, fiber's just roughage, and it gets broken down as a. It's a carbohydrate. Dan, you're so smart. So what? What? Who's the? (laughs) Like like Michelle says, it's about now where the show took a turn last week. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Okay, so last question, Dan. Rank French fries uh, from first to worst, from shoestring, waffle, steak. uh, What else we got, Tim? Curly. Curly. Um, potato smiles. No. That's an unfair fight. That's, That's unfair. number one yeah. every time. Yeah. And tater tots. <laughs> tater tots Shoes are not waffles. french fries. Steak, tater Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes. Potato, but hash browns. <laughs> no. No. Uh, tater tots are hash browns, which are not french fries. Okay, okay, okay. So curly, steak, shoestring, and waffle. Is that it? Are those the only kind of fries? Boardwalk fries. Shoestring's the worst. Waffle's the next worst. Curly fries, depending on the seasoning, is going to be the next. And I guess steak would be... Oh, gross. What's wrong with you? That's too much potato in your mouth. (laughs) Just go eat a baked potato already. Oh, that's so gross. All right, we got we got rankings coming in from the live chat. I love it. Got, See, got... this is evolution or revolution. This is <laughs> clearly the conversation has evolved <laughs> to a more sustainable topic that the people can get behind. Brian, your rankings are invalid. He says tots, waffle, shoestring, <laughs> steak. Tots don't count. Waffle fries, I can give you that if they're crispy. But whenever it's just too much skin on the butt, it's bad. <laughs> steak fries. Agree. Bill Holcomb, steak the worst. 
waffle curly shoestring is the best. I agree. You got to get the crisp on it. I got some boardwalk fries, which are not even mentioned, sitting in the air fryer right now, where you, you chop them up like uh, Five Guys. That's yeah. a board. That's like boardwalk fries. Yeah, I think yeah, those yeah. are whenever they're cooked properly are top of the uh, top of the heat. But I'm with you, Kevin. Steak fries are the pits. They're gross. They make me want to puke whenever. I'm putting I just... waffle fries at the top of mine, man. I love a good fresh batch of waffle fries. From Chick Fil A, dude. Agreed. And uh, I'm very envious of that time, probably a month or two, where the people in Athens, Georgia, and Denver, Colorado got to taste sweet potato waffle fries. Um, and then, you put honorable, your, put honorable your, mention, sweet Put potato your rankings fries. for fries in your reviews on iTunes, <laughs> or you can pre-order your Home Before Dark scarf at bit.ly forward slash hb4d scarf, and you've got 20 characters to write out the order of French fries in the way that you see fit. We, for, we forgot crinkle fries. Uh, Dean says Zaxby's has the best cr- uh, fries. Ooh, Gross. Crinkle. Crinkle? No. You're not a fan I, of Zaxby's fries? Not a fan of Zaxby's fries. Really? Especially when I you think- get it to go. But guys, Bill Holcomb speaks the truth. Shoestring has the least inner, most outer, and therefore the best. And I agree with him. No, fuck However, that. However, they can't be just crispy. They've got to have some softness to them. In yeah, the yeah, that's disgusting. Uh, oh, and Michelle, yeah, with malt vinegar, absolutely. How else do you eat French fries without? Um, okay, that's disgusting. Fuck both vinegar. of you guys. Uh, and you know what? Zaxby's I'll, has I'll the best put... fries in person. However, I agree with you, Tim. As soon as you get it in the drive-through, it's like somebody threw it in the swimming pool. Yes, you've got thirty-second shot clock before that thing is no. mush mouth. Best best fries from from anywhere, Central Park, and oh, then yeah. and then uh, Checkers slash Rallies. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, steak fries. <laughs> steak fries are just a stick version of uh, fried mashed potatoes, <laughs> but without any of the glory of a Papa's Rihanna. Oh, but how good were twice baked potatoes, though? Oh God, they look like. Is that a lobster tail? Is that a stuffed <laughs> lobster tail? No, that's 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 potato. <laughs> Those taters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're missing an opportunity here. The. I feel like the Atlanta United players on front office really need to be petitioned to really nail down which players choose which fry. And if any of them choose steak fries, I don't know if we can have them on the team. This is correct. I mean, you just gave steak fries the number one rating. So how? No, 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 no. I said steak fries were the better one for you. Oh, gross. Oh, oh. <laughs> it was the best. Who cares steak about fries that? Are horrible. Ever. Uh, okay. All right. Um. Octa- uh, Octavio uh, Mingura saying Central Park Fries. There is a small little uh, like fast food restaurant in very weird areas like Sumter, South Carolina called Central yeah. Park. And Orlando make- City is the steak fry of MLS. But we do. We finally have uh, <laughs> confirmation okay, of great. the we're, we're going to do an offside trap after this. So we yeah. have to. Uh, so be sure to go check up. out Six States One Pod, who we'll be recording with tonight. This uh, will not be live on uh, on YouTube. Tonight, it won't unfortunately, be. But. But it's uh, at six states one pod, all spelled out, and uh, offside trap will go up. What have we been Thursday morning? Thursday yeah. morning, uh, in preparation for game day this weekend against the Revs. Score predictions. What are you guys thinking? I think three nothing Atlanta. I think we get off the Schneid and we do it in uh, do it in style on uh, on the thirteenth this weekend. Tim or Dan, what do you think? Um, okay, so apparently, uh, what's his name? Chris Cropper, the goalkeeper. Cody, oh, Cody Cropper. Cody Cropper. He has uh, wrestled his spot back into the New England Revolution team. Um, 
uh, I was actually listening to um, the podcast you guys are going to um, talk with after this. And they played a little bit, a little clip, and he was very motivational. He was like very sort of like, I'm just going to keep my head down. We're going to work for this. He's managed to earn back the jersey. And here is the same goalkeeper. We beat 7-0 at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So 8-0 this time. Let's go. <laughs> I would love it. I have a feeling it's going to be a 2-1, hopefully a 2-1 Atlanta United win. I'm done calling for Atlanta United wins until I see one. So 1-1 one, one is my final prediction. It's a popular scoreline for us this year. Yeah. All right. You can find all of us on Twitter collectively at Home Before Dark. That's before spelled B and the number four. Check out gethomebeforedark.com forward slash shop or bit.ly forward slash HB4D scarf to get those pre-orders in. Uh, there are They are in limited quantities. I know some of you guys pre-ordered one during the show, so thank you so much. That link and everything else will go up on uh, Twitter and all of our typical platforms tomorrow whenever this show goes up. However you found us, if it was on iTunes, Potomatic, no, nope, we don't go uh, up no, on Potomatic. Don't do Potomatic that anymore. That was years and years That's ago. That's right. Uh, if it's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever, if there's a star or a rating system, throw it up there. Leave us a rating or a review to hear it read aloud on the show. We did get a couple new ratings. I think we're up to 169. So oh, the yeah. next one breaks the duck for all of us. I don't think any of us threw anything higher than 169 in the vault for total number of reviews Correct. for the end of the season. So our goal is to hit 200. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and showing out with us each and every week. We love the hell out of you. We will see you next time. As always, be home before dark. Let's let out the old Georgia parole on them. Now seven days we crawl up to the ground Love seven sins we wear just like a crown Angels will cry and angels will moan When will they leave us alone? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.